All right, look, I've got a map up today, so uh, this is a good thing. We're we're in Acts chapter 14, but in Acts chapter 13 last week, this whole first missionary journey, you know, Paul takes three missionary journeys starting churches, and so we were on the first missionary journey last week, and it started down here uh, in Caesarea, and they made it to the island of Cyprus and made it on up to uh, really Antioch, Antioch Pisidia. And so go to the next map, I'll show you, uh, they came through Perga, they went all the way up to Antioch, we just kind of like zoomed in, we zoomed in to uh, the north part of uh, the island there, which is not island, but uh, Galatia, this is southern Galatia, so when he writes to the churches at Galatia, he's really writing to this whole area. So today we're starting at Antioch and we get over to uh, Icon- Iconium. All right, and the next and the next one we'll show you we get from Iconium down to Lystra and to Derbe and then there's another one later on but this is where we are in the map and you can see uh they turned my mic off while I walk in front of the speaker. Uh southern Galatia is the whole area that he eventually writes to and we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks when he actually wrote his letter to them. But up until then, let's get you to that point, okay? So they started in Antioch, Pisidia, and they literally got beaten and run out of town. Remember it said that he got lashes, one less than 40, and he left, and he went to Iconium. So while the blood is literally drying on their backs, they walked 90 miles, 90 miles from, from Antioch to Iconium. It's still, that whole area right there that you're looking at is still modern Turkey today. If you were to take a Google map and look at it, that is exactly what you would see. It was probably, 90 miles was probably a five-day walk for them. They literally, about five or six men, traveled 90 miles in five days. There was a road that was taken, it was called Sebastian Way, or actually Via Sebaste, and it was a military road because these were all military towns. The Roman Empire had been established at this point, and they had military all over the place, so they had roads to get all their people to. Uh, if we look at verse 1, it says, In Iconium, Iconium being a Greek plus a Phrygian language spoken there, plus Rome citizens were now coming to it. You really had three different groups of people that were living in Iconium. It says, In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue. This was typical of Paul all throughout Acts. Because Jesus said, what? I'm taking this first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And Paul did the same thing. He would go into a town, and he would find the Jewish synagogue. He would go there first and begin to tell his story. His story being that he was a Jew... A Pharisee, he knew the law better than anyone. He was a student of Gamaliel and well-respected 
in the territory. It says, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Remember last week I said there were three different groups of people. There were the Jews, those that believed that God was God, but wasn't necessarily Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Then you had the Jews that were believing Jews. They were the believing Jews, and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So you had the old covenant come along, and now all of a sudden Jesus came and he fulfilled the old covenant, all the law in the old covenant, and they believed that he was the Messiah Savior. And then you had the God-fearing Gentiles. They were not Jews, but they were the God-fearing Gentiles. And they were the ones that necessarily didn't get circumcised, but they were believers. You did have the proselyte Gentiles as well who got circumcised. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Let's break that down again. So the time period that we're actually looking at is around 47. This whole missionary journey started in 47 A.D. Jesus had just been crucified around 30 A.D. So 17 years later, now Paul is and Barnabas are prepared to go and tell the message of Jesus Christ to southern Galatia. They go in, and they say this, I'm Paul, I'm a Pharisee, I know the law, I know the Ten Commandments. I would say that most people in this room right here could not say all the Ten Commandments. I know all 613 laws that are written in Leviticus. I know all the oral law, and I know the prophets that were written about in the Old Testament. I even have the whole oral law that the Pharisees added to God's laws memorized. I get it. I understand where you're coming from. But let me tell you, that whole Savior, Messiah that you are waiting on in Isaiah chapter 53 has come. His name was Jesus, and here's what he did. And what Jesus did, he fulfilled the old covenant, and now the whole old covenant, everything that I believed in, grew up in, understood, know so well, is obsolete. If someone came in here and told you that your faith was obsolete, you'd be a get out of here. This is exactly what Paul and Barnabas have done. It's obsolete. Look, the Word tells us we were waiting for a Messiah. He came. But the Jews in general rejected Him. And so now, He's sitting there telling them, here's what He's telling them. He's like, Jesus was crucified by the Jews. He was buried. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of God. And they sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, now to come inside those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You get that, right? If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He sent the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you. (laughs) Thank you. 
<laughs> there is a, a holy, living, loving, merciful, graceful God that is inside of you if you believe. Are you kidding me? And this is what Paul and Barnabas are trying to tell these Jews in Iconium. It's, it's changed. He cha- the whole thing's changed what you once believed. And then they begin healing people and doing signs and wonders, it says. And it's, it's not the signs and wonders that cause them to have faith. That's not what it's based upon. It's based upon because of your faith, you see signs and wonders. And this is what was happening. They believed, and because of their belief, incredible things began to happen, and all of a sudden people were believing that Jesus really was the Messiah based upon what Paul and Barnabas was telling them. But at the same time, you've got the Jews that I'm not buying into that. I, I, I can't. I've raised my kids up knowing this faith. I've raised, I've, you know how long it took my kids to memorize the Ten Commandments? I've invested a lot in my family and I'm not about to let this faith thing go. So now you have division. You have polarity. Are you familiar with polarity? In this world, we are. In this age today, we understand what it means to have polar opposites. I, I think you know, <laughs> I think you know that even in the church today, in the church today, those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, there's polarity. They're still saying, you have to obey the law. You have to do these things that were intentionally and originally given to the Jews, not to the Gentiles, not to you, but to the Jews. These things were given to the Jews. This was for them to live out the whole old covenant. But the church today says, yeah, you're supposed to live by this. When really, if you just take what we're doing here, the Bible, and just read it, it says there's a Holy Spirit inside of you, and He will direct you, he will guide you. He will tell you what to do. Wait. He will even do it for you. Because you've already proven that you can't do it. There's a Spirit of God living inside of me that says, I'll do it for you. Rusty, rest. Rest in me. That doesn't mean that I just sit there and stop doing things. Trust me. You probably become more physically active than you ever have before. You probably will talk about God more than you ever have before. Because all of a sudden, it becomes very real to you, and you realize that all these things that are going through your head right here, these things going through your head, there's a battle going on up here between the evil one and the mind of Christ that He has given you. Right? It's the same thing that Jesus dealt with in the Garden of Gethsemane. The evil one telling him, don't go to the cross. Don't do this. Yet he wanted to be obedient to the Father because that's who he was. Well, now I have a new heart and I want to be obedient to the Father. And I stand here bold enough to say, I believe this with all my heart. 
that I don't have to do the law. I don't have to like have Ten Commandments posted. I, I, I realized that I wasn't able to do that and that I needed a Savior. The Savior came and He perfectly did it. Now that Savior lives inside of me. And He's redeemed me. He's forgiven me. This is all Paul is saying to these people. And they're like, we're not buying it. We're not buying it. Now, I'm telling you, if somebody came up here next Sunday and I'm out of town and starts teaching the law in here that you need to obey the law, I can guarantee you I'll be back here in a heartbeat. It would, it would really, really bother me. I, I mean, I, would lose, I seriously would lose sleep over it. And now, this is what they're dealing with in Acts chapter 14. Verse 4, it says, But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and the others with the apostles. So they're continuing their witness in the city. And I, I think it's interesting that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he actually refers to Paul and Barnabas as apostles, as apostles here. And note that he's only done that twice. He's only done that twice here and in chapter 14 later, verse 14. It says in verse 5, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, back you, you back up one city earlier into uh, Antioch of Pisidia, the authorities there said, hey man, you can't be teaching this, you're disrupting our community, we've got Jewish believers and yada yada. You have to leave the city and we're throwing you out and we're going to whip you, beat you before you leave. Just to say you're not welcome here anymore. So now, the officials, the authorities in, in, in Antioch uh, said that took this vote and said, this is what we've decided. And here, it's saying that the people took on a mob mentality and ran them out of town. And it says, with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They found out about it and fled to the Laconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued to preach the gospel. Somehow, some way, they got the intel that they were getting ready to get stoned. And they're like, we're out. Pack our bags. We're going to the next city. But in the meantime, another church, just as in Antioch, Pisidia, another church has now been formed in Iconium. Now, they move on to Lystra. They take the road to Sebastia again. It's another 18 miles southwest to this Romany colony called Lystra. It's a very primitive town. It's built on a small hill. And the old Lycanian language is still spoken here as well as Greek. So two different languages. And it's also a Roman colony. They get there, and there's no synagogue. That doesn't mean that there were not any Jews there. It just means there weren't enough Jews there to establish a synagogue. And then there's the old legend in this town that says the Greek god Zeus and Hermes once visited Lystra. 
it was told actually by a poet that was named Ovid. This is world history. They appeared as humans looking for a place to stay, and they were rejected by the people. An elderly couple took the gods, Zeus and Hermes, in, and the gods turned their home into a palace. That palace became the temple of Zeus at the north end of the gate of Lystra. That sets you up for what we're about to read in the Bible. In verse 8, it says, In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked. He was born that way. And he had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke and looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and he began to walk around. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. This whole fable, this whole tale that they had been told by Ovid is now being fulfilled by Paul and Barnabas. These must be the same ones that Ovid was telling us about. It says right here, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. Hermes was the herald, the messenger of the Greek gods. The Roman name being Mercury. It says because he was the chief speaker, Paul did a lot of the speaking. It says the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and they rushed into the crowd. They tore their robes. That's a, that's a sign of mourning, a sign of grief. So why are Paul and Barnabas tearing their robes? Because, hey, wait, we're, you're totally misunderstanding this. This is not Zeus and I'm not Hermes. This, this isn't, you're seeing this totally wrong. It says, people, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things, Zeus and Hermes, these things that you've heard about, these fables you've heard about all your life, turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way although he did not leave him himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Verse 18, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. We don't care what you say. We still believe that you're Zeus and Hermes. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium the two places they've established churches. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. So now Paul and Barnabas have gone in there and they've spoken the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And yes people came to understand that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior. And you'll see that here in just a second. But think about this for a second. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Let me jump ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24-25. We read this a couple of weeks ago. It says, 
this is Paul talking, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Oh, so in 2 Corinthians, when he received a stoning, he's referring to right here at Iconium. They literally stoned him right there and left him for dead. Verse 20, it says, this is awesome. This is one verse. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into town. Wait, 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 wait. Verse 19, it says, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. They literally stoned him within an inch of his life. He's beaten, bloodied, probably unconscious, barely breathing. And in the next verse, it says, after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into town. (laughs) So literally, that's all it took. Paul's laying there dying. Blood everywhere. Bruises everywhere. Disciples come around him. And he gets up and goes back into town. Second Timothy, Paul wrote Timothy a letter. Second Timothy three ten through eleven says this: Who's standing there watching all this happen? It's Timothy, because he says, "But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings." that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Timothy's standing there over Paul, who's about to die, and watches a miracle happen that Paul is actually healed from a stoning that almost brought on death to just, okay, let's do this. Really? One verse? You remember what he said, if, if that's the case, if Timothy right there in Lystra was a believer, became a believer at that point, but it, he tells us in 2 Timothy 1.5, who did Timothy get his faith from? He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced it is in you also. So there in Lystra, Now you've got Timothy's grandmother and his mom that believed before he even did. So in Lystra, we know that people came to believe Jesus was the Messiah. We sit there and see it throughout the Scripture. Now these women, his grandmother and his mother, were both Jews. But his dad, remember, is Greek. That comes two chapters Next, Acts 16.1, it says, Paul went to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. See, all these things that we're pulling out of history, Greeks, the Jews, the Romans all living together, is really affirmed right here in the Scripture. So now Paul is miraculously healed, but he's got scars. Hmm. Galatians 6.17 says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I came in with the gospel. 
I shared the good news. I was stoned almost to death. I was miraculously healed, but I have these scars. Let me say to you, church, if the scriptures say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I don't care if he's referring to the Pharisees or if he's referring to the evil one. I know this. It says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That happened with Paul. And why wouldn't it happen today? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The intent is to stop you from hearing the good news and spreading the good news. Paul's doing all good things. He's sharing the gospel. But he literally comes to the edge of death. Miraculously, he survives. But the scars remain. Have you ever been there? Hmm. Do you have scars as the result of doing good? I'm sure that in this room, some of you are still in the midst of being wounded. Maybe you're in the midst of healing right now. But don't ever give up on your faith. Don't give up on your calling. Don't give up on the goodness of the Lord and doing the goodness of the Lord. Near death, miraculously healed, he got up and he went back into town to get his stuff. It says the next day he left with Barnabas for Derbe. He got up, went back in town, they got their stuff, and the next day they left. Another church has now started in Lystra. The two apostles headed 60 miles southeast to a tiny frontier town called Derbe. Verse 21, it says, After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, that's really almost all you get right there. There's a convert that is made in this town of Derbe, and we actually know his name is Gaius. He's actually mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. So now, another church has been established in Derbe in one verse. One verse. After preaching the gospel in Derbe, Paul and Barnabas, they go, okay, we're going to retrace our steps because these Judaizers are coming behind us and trying to change everybody's mind about what we're teaching even despite the fact that they've been driven out of these cities, they turn back and retrace their steps. You've been beaten, you've been stoned, and you're going to go back there? Yeah. 
Why not? I've got God on my side. The same God that David took down Goliath with. Nothing to be afraid of. It says they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. Just think about it. You, if you're in those churches there and you're huddled up based upon what Paul and Barnabas have told you and you know that they got ran out of town and all of a sudden they show back up, man, that's just like getting an injection right there. You came back to us? This is what they did. They, they literally pumped the churches back up just by their presence of being there. And it says, and by telling them, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Church. It's, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I have a Savior who came here on earth and he sympathizes with me because he took on this physical flesh suit just like I have and he suffered. He suffered. He did, don't, don't, don't talk about the physical side of it. Talk, talk just about the spiritual side of it. You, you, you suffer spiritually, right, up here? You, you suffer with evil thoughts, you have evil thoughts, right? I'm on, I'm not the only one, right? I got one right now. Um, but here's the here's here's the crazy thing: if the scripture says that I'm a new creation, I'm holy and righteous and redeemed and justified, how in the world did I just generate that evil thought? Well, I didn't. Romans, Paul says, is there's this power, there's this power, and it's sinful, and it and it. And it dwells inside my flesh and so he's constantly sending me thoughts and because i have the spirit of god in me i have the mind of christ i'm able to say wait i didn't generate that thought that thought is a lie that's not truth i know what the truth is because it tells me right here and so literally paul is come in and he's reminding these people about their identities kindly he's, he's reminding them about these things it's necessary to go through hardships my savior sympathizes with me he understands it says when they had appointed elders for them in every church And prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So they literally went back to each city. And they briefly met with them just to pump them up, just to give them strength, to remind them of their identity, remind them of what Christ has done, to remind them, hey, you're going to face trials. And after fasting and praying, the apostles identified the elders in the area. In other words, you need leadership. It says appointed. If you, it's the same word in some translations. They acknowledged. They acknowledged the elders. I prefer the word acknowledged. If you appointed, it's almost like I'm going to choose you and you and you and you. And it almost becomes a title. We have, at this current time, Levener has 
five appointed elders that are represented. That would be me as one. Big John back there at the soundboard is two. Matt Tolley is at the great banquet today. Ed Hens is not here. And Phil Tooley is over there. Those are our current elders. But I look around the room and I see many more elders. If, if that was, look, look if, if it was just based upon us five, you're in trouble. <laughs> Seriously. But let's just acknowledge there's more elders in this room. People with wisdom, people who love the Lord, people who struggle just like you do. And so now they've gone through each one of these cities and they said, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what an elder looks like. This is what we need to do. This is, if you need something, go to these elders. This is the whole pattern that holds throughout Paul's entire ministry right here. He's going to spend a short amount of time laying a solid foundation for this infant church. And then he's going to abandon it for a long period of time without that designated leadership. Two years will actually pass before Paul will return to see the Galatian believers. He's gone back through. Now he's put the eldership into leadership. And it's going to be two years before he gets back. I read to you. Most of the converts in South Galatia are heathen Gentiles. There are some God-fearers and some Jews among them. The new converts in South Galatia do not have any Bibles. It, well, first of all, the New Testament hasn't been written. Possibly a Jew in one of four churches has one or two scrolls of some Old Testament books. But it's highly doubtful that any of the churches in South Galatia have a complete Old Testament. Yet, even if every convert had a, an entire Bible, it would profit them little. For only 5 to 10% of the population in the Roman Empire are literate. 5 to 10% could read. Letter writers, stenographers, occasional poets, and legal scribes make up only 4% of the population at best. Those who can write become far-sighted by the age of 40. Thus, they'll need a secretary or a scribe to take down their words. And this is exactly what Paul did in most of his letters. Is he had people scribe for him, but he would always sign off on the end with his own name. The average life expectancy for a male is 45. The average life expectancy for a female is 38. Of all humans born in the empire, half died before age five. Women usually marry in their early teens and raise families until they have passed childbearing age. Very little birth control was practiced. Half do not live past the age of 10. Three of every 10 Jewish children die before the age of 18. I tell you all that so you can understand the context of what Paul and Barnabas are dealing with with the churches in South Galatia. They're dealing with hardship. 
they're dealing with grief. They get it. Verse 24, it says, They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. It takes us to 49 AD, and I'll show you one more map real quick. That's the trail back to Antioch. They just basically retrace their steps to encourage the church. Verse 27 says, After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them, and that had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Okay, so meanwhile, back in Rome, Emperor Claudius issues a decree expelling all Jews from the eternal city. All you Jews have to leave Rome now. According to the historian Suetonius, the Jews are rioting over the various views about Christ. Since Christianity is viewed as a sect of Judaism in the eyes of the Greeks and Romans, all Jews, including Christian and non-Christian, are forced to leave the city. Many of the banished Jews flee to the Greek city of Corinth. We're setting you up for what's to come. A Roman Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla are among them. Because Rome was expelled, all Jews, Gentiles, and all the Roman colonies throughout the empire regard Jews with even greater suspicion and disfavor than they ever had before. And for most of the population of the first century Galatia is a thankless, loveless, horrible place to live. This is the world into which two apostolic workers from Syrian Antioch come to establish the church of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that these new Galatian churches are surrounded by Gentile immorality and idolatry. Also, there are Jews in their towns who hate this new faith. And after their brief revisiting trip, the new Christians in Galatia will not see the hair of the apostle for almost two years. So why in the world would they hang on to what Paul and Barnabas are teaching? Because they taught them about the indwelling Christ that moves into their life and helps them through the suffering. I have a God that is full of mercy, full of grace, full of love, full of healing, and He has taken up residence inside of the church, not a building, but a people. That's you. Why in the world would they not want to hold on to that? You think the evil one didn't want them to hear that? Oh, you just wait. You just wait. The good news is preached. The evil one comes attacking. Just wait. Father, I thank you for the message that we have from Paul and Barnabas. That we can be encouraged even just reading about the struggles that they go through. And know today there's not much difference. That there's still a different form of suffering 
but there's also still your healing. And I trust you with this. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.